In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. The gift did not look like what I wanted or what I was expecting. I had asked for something very specific for Christmas from somebody who reliably delivered, as long as I wasn't asking for something wild like a spaceship or an elephant, but by now I was old enough to know pretty well where the limits were. And I had not been disappointed for the past several Christmases, but this, wrong size, way too big, wrong shape, not a rectangle, and when I picked it up and shook it, way too squishy. And it made me wonder, am I really going to be getting a sweater for Christmas instead of my deeply desired and requested Game Boy? On Christmas Eve, after all of the wrapping paper had been torn off, everything made sense. It was the Game Boy that I wanted, that I had asked for. It was just covered in a thick layer of that bubble wrap stuff so that when I shook it, I wouldn't break it. It was the gift I was looking for all along. It was just hidden and disguised. That's what it was like when our Savior Jesus, our gift from heaven, walked in this world. The prophets of the Old Testament were very clear that the Messiah, the Savior who was coming, would be God, divine. And yet, in Isaiah's book, there is also this interesting prediction that the appearance of the Messiah would not really be anything striking or special. Isaiah says there's nothing about his appearance that would attract us to him. So if you were walking with Jesus during his ministry and you went just by the outward appearance, you probably have said he doesn't... He doesn't look any different than you or me or our neighbor. Now, especially in the season of Epiphany, Jesus does prove his deity. In the words, the authoritative heavenly teaching, and in his miraculous works, Jesus did prove his deity, but those were just brief flashes, those miracles. Most of the time, if you were walking with Jesus during his ministry, if you were following him, there could have easily been this nagging doubt lingering in your mind. Really? This guy? This is who we were hoping for. This is who we were expecting. This is the Messiah. He's divine. And that leads us up to the events of the day of Jesus' transfiguration, when our Savior sets aside all doubt about who he is, and he also focuses on the final stages of the saving mission that his heavenly father had given him. And as we come very close to the journey of Lent, where we are going to travel down this difficult path of self-examination and repentance and having to witness the severe price that our Savior paid when he took the punishment of our sins, we will need to keep what we see and what we hear today on the top of this mountain in our minds because it will give us perspective. Because during his suffering and death in Lent, Jesus will appear to be just a frail human being like you and me, who is powerless to stop what is happening to him. But what we see and hear today on the top of this mountain will tell us Jesus is our divine Savior. He lays his glory down as the Son of God to win glory for us. And he walks with us through this world all the way to
to that glory. On this special day of his transfiguration, Jesus takes only his three closest disciples, only the innermost circle of Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John, after Jesus' resurrection, after Jesus' work has been complete, and, and everything makes sense, and all the pieces have fit into place, they'll be able to share with Jesus' other followers what happened on this mountain so that things will make sense to them too. But as they climb this mountain, it is likely that Jesus' three disciples do not suspect that anything out of the ordinary is going to happen on this day. Jesus often climbs mountains to pray by himself or with his disciples, to pray with them and to teach them. But very quickly, the disciples see that this day is not going to be an ordinary day on the mountaintop. There he was transfigured in front of them. The Greek word for transfigured gives us our word metamorphosis. This is a complete, undeniable change. Jesus' appearance goes from masking who he is, concealing his deity, to revealing it, putting it on display. His clothes became radiant, dazzling white, whiter than anyone on earth could bleach them. This is not a quick wardrobe change on Jesus' part. The other gospel writers use words like lightning and the sun to describe the changed appearance of our Savior, both his clothing and his face. This is Jesus revealing himself, the God who he is. Jesus is not just like you or just like me or just like any other human being. He is a human being, but Jesus is God who has taken our human nature into the divine nature. And this is very important for you and me. This is not some point of theological academia or trivia. The fact that Jesus is God is vital for our eternal salvation. Only God could live the absolutely perfect life that we need. Live that perfect life in our place and make it count for every sinful human being through history. Only God could make the sacrificial death for our sins on the cross count to wash away the sins of every sinful human being throughout history. This glimpse of Jesus' deity on the mountain is a great comfort for those three disciples then and for Jesus' disciples today. Yes, what you are about to see your Savior endure will be difficult. It will be troubling. But he is not enduring it because he is helpless to stop it like you or me or any other human being would be. He is enduring this suffering and this death because he loves us. He wants to lay down his glory so that we will have it forever with him in heaven because this is also the true nature of Jesus Christ to surrender glory, to win it for others. In this case, for us and for our salvation. As if all of this were not enough for the three disciples to try to absorb in a moment, suddenly there are no longer four men on the top of the mountain, there are six. Jesus has been joined by two great heroes from way back in the Old Testament, Elijah and Moses, they are speaking with Jesus on the mountain. And this also shows us who our Savior Jesus is.
He is what the Old Testament is all about. The Old Testament, also known as the Law and the Prophets. The Law, headed by Moses, the great lawgiver, and the Prophets, led by Elijah, the great prophet. St. Luke tells us at least one topic of conversation between Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. It is what Luke calls Jesus' upcoming departure. That is his death. Do you see how even during this moment of glory, this moment of great peace on the top of a mountain, Jesus' mind is still laser-focused on completing the mission that his heavenly Father has given him. In Jesus' mind, this is still all leading to the cross, to his triumphant declaration that it is finished amid the apparent defeat of death. In Jesus' mind, this is still leading all the way to the empty tomb of Easter morning and the angel's wonderful proclamation, he is not here, he is risen, amid the apparent defeat of the grave. All for us and for our salvation. Now our friend, St. Peter, who is up there on the mountain, St. Peter often gets some awfully rough treatment on Transfiguration Sunday. You hear St. Peter get a really good thumping sometimes for the way he feels, the things he says on the top of that mountain. But I think if you are a sinner who loves Jesus and trusts in him for the forgiveness of your sins, you should be sympathetic toward the things Peter says and the things Peter does on that mountain. If you're a sinner who loves Jesus, it should make sense. If you love Jesus and you got to stand in his glory as God, who wouldn't want to stay there, right? On the other hand, if you are a sinful human being standing in the glory of God, who would not be scared right out of their minds? And we should be able to relate to this. When you think of standing in the glory of God, it should terrify you because he's holy and you're not. On the other hand, Knowing that God loves you and his son, that makes the thought of standing in God's presence, it makes you want to say, it's good to be here and I want to stay. It's a paradox that we have to live with as long as we are sinful and as long as we are living in this world. Your sin makes you terrified to stand in God's glory. But having Jesus with you, well, that makes you say, it's good to be here and I want to stay. And this really makes you look forward to the day when you're going to be standing on the mountaintop of heaven and your sin's going to be gone, and you will be able to say that with no terror, no fear, only joy, it's good for me to be here in the glory of God, and I want to stay. And you will stay forever. Now, St. Peter has clarity. If he has any understanding of the great upheaval that is coming for Jesus and for him, and for the other disciples starting in the Garden of Gethsemane, that would be all the more reason for Peter to want to stay right where he is, to stay in the glory and the peace of that mountaintop. But that is not God's plan. It is not God's plan to send his son into this world to just put in some time in peace and glory. And it's not God's plan for those three disciples to stay in peace and glory either. God the Father has very difficult work for Jesus and those disciples to do at the bottom of the mountain. 
difficult work to be done for the good of sinners who need forgiveness. The difficult work of Jesus Christ at the bottom of the mountain is to earn our salvation with his suffering and death. The difficult work of these disciples is to take that message of forgiveness in Christ out to the whole world in the face of resistance and persecution. As we go through our lives in this world, we have times where it feels like we're on a mountaintop. We all have good times where God is giving us glory and he's giving us time, peace, and rest. We would like those times to be all the time. We also have times in our lives that are very difficult, at the bottom of our mountains, where we wish these times would never come, and when they do come, we would just like them to be over immediately. We need to remember what we are seeing on this mountaintop, every kind of stage that we go through in our lives. We have a Savior who is divine. After he died for our sins, rose from the dead, and he still lives. That means Jesus is with you when God has you on a mountaintop. He is at your side, your living Savior who is with you. So the right thing to do when God is giving you a mountaintop in your life is to turn to Jesus and say, Thank you. I am on this mountaintop because you led me up this mountain. I'm here because of you. Thank you for bringing me to this good time in my life. And if we could please have it last as long as possible, Jesus, that would be wonderful too. And when God's plan has you at the bottom of a mountain and you are struggling through a difficult time, you also need to remember you have a divine Savior who lives, who is at your side, and he is going to use the difficulty in your life the same way he used his own for your good and for the good of those around you in the end. Before Jesus and his disciples break camp and before we break camp and go home today, we also need to see the glory of the Father and hear his voice on the mountaintop. St. Mark calls it the glory of the Lord in a cloud. It reminds you of the cloud pillar that the Lord appeared in to lead the Israelites in the wilderness during the day, the glory of the Lord that surrounded the shepherds on the night of Jesus' birth, and from that glory, the glory of God made visible, the Father speaks and he says, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. At Jesus' baptism, way back at the beginning of his ministry, the Father spoke very similar words to these that he's now speaking now at the very end of Jesus' ministry. At the baptism of our Savior, the Father spoke mostly to Jesus to strengthen his Son and encourage him. Here you see the Father is speaking mostly to Jesus' followers to strengthen them and encourage them with this truth. Jesus is your divine Savior who is about to lay down his glory so that you will have it forever. He is your living Savior who stays at your side and walks with you all the way to that glory through every time of life, both the mountaintops and the difficulties and the struggles. Because you see, over the next few days, Jesus is going to ramp up how direct and blunt he is with his disciples about everything he's going to suffer. The betrayal, the arrest, the 
condemnation, death, burial, and the resurrection. At least one time before, Jesus was very blunt and direct with his disciples about everything that was going to happen to him. And when he was, St. Peter became very blunt and direct with Jesus, telling him that none of these things should ever happen to the Son of God. And in response to that, Jesus became extremely blunt and direct with St. Peter, calling him a messenger of Satan for trying to get Jesus to veer off the course that the Father had laid out for him. These words from heaven are meant to resolve any tension between what Jesus thinks is right and what his followers think is right. These words from heaven tell the disciples clearly, Jesus knows what he is doing. He is the Son of God. He is saying what is right. He is doing what is right. Listen to him. When the disciples start to see what Jesus is suffering later on, and they set that in their minds next to the glory of this mountaintop, it's all going to seem strange. It is going to seem weird, and it is going to seem out of place. It's going to look like Jesus was not the Messiah that they were expecting, not the Messiah that they were that they were hoping for. And that's why Jesus makes it clear that for now, the disciples should not talk about any of this. Not until after Easter, when all the pieces will be in place, when everything will make sense, and they can use this mountaintop to help Jesus' followers have everything make sense to them too. But it's not going to make sense right now. In fact, right now, the disciples aren't even really clear on what Jesus means by rising from the dead. They don't understand it right now, but they will in time. In time, it will all make sense. In our lives, sometimes God takes us to a mountaintop where there's peace and glory. Sometimes he takes us to the bottom where there is difficulty and where there is struggle. And when we are at the bottom of a mountain, sometimes what we want more than anything else is for the pieces to fit. We want to understand why. We want to understand why now. We just want everything to make sense. And sometimes it doesn't. Not right now, anyway. It will, but not right now. St. Paul says, we know in part, then we shall know fully. It is those times when we need to look back to our Savior on the top of the mountain and hear the message of our Heavenly Father Jesus is the Son of God. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing, and we know what he has done. He has surrendered his glory so that we will have it forever. And he lives to walk through every time of life with us all the way to that glory of heaven. To Jesus be glory forever. Alleluia and amen.